Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, and I'm here with Keith Myers. Keith, how you doing? I'm doing pretty dang well. It's a, a lovely summer morning. I've got coffee and we have Seahawk football to talk about. Yeah, that's uh that's always a good thing. <laughs> My last couple of days I've been uh, I've had uh, a new computer that I've been setting up over the last couple of weeks and last week we had some recording challenges, we overcame that and so forth. I thought I had overcome them to actually record the show normal this morning and uh got all set last night and then this morning I show up and set up the new recording and it changed some setting that I can't figure out now. And so we're having to kind of backwards record this thing, but <clears throat> here we are, we're ready to go talk some Seahawks football. So uh, other than that though, I'm doing, doing well. Uh, the Seahawks seem to be doing well. Um, today we're going to talk about the secondary because it's just a brand new shiny object this year compared to last year. And uh, we had some good news this week. Surprising news, Keith, Quentin Dunbar was um, the, the prosecutors in Florida decided not to press charges on Quentin Dunbar. He was released from the commissioner's exempt list and he flew to Seattle yesterday and he's going to be in Seahawks training camp. Now we don't know for sure uh, suspension is down the road, but all things right now point to the fact that he's going to play on the Seattle Seahawks in 2020, which is a game changer. Yeah, that's, um, you know, it was one of those things where we thought he was gone. Then we thought he was back. Then he was gone again. And he was put on this exempt list because basically the commissioner didn't want this constantly, um, being in the news and being what people are talking about rather than, uh, actual football. And then suddenly he's back again. And, um, yeah, it's good to see, uh, from the, from the Seahawks, from a football standpoint, uh, good for Dunbar on a personal note that he won't be, you know, fa no, facing absolutely. trial and going to jail of that. Hopefully if he was involved in any way, he learned from this and doesn't do anything like it again. But, um, yeah, lack of evidence is what they state, stated, uh, and so they did not press charges. And but they are moving. It was always kind of weird. Yeah, like Baker always seemed to be just a little bit more involved in this thing than Dunbar from the very beginning. Just reading through the tea leaves and kind of the lack of mentions when the articles came out of Dunbar's kind of direct involvement and. Um, and then the whole thing with the the attorney, but then Dunbar's no nowhere to be found. Like in that article where they described the attorney uh, having the meeting at his place to exchange money with with Johnson, which is the the coach that uh, both Baker and Dunbar knew mutually. Um, Dunbar wasn't there. It seemed like he didn't even know that that meeting was going on. Now that's just me reading into it, but. The article didn't mention him at all. It did mention Baker several times as kind of negotiating this thing and coordinating it and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not exactly sure. I think 
Um, for me, I always held out hope and, and almost hesitated to kind of comment one way or another on it mm-hmm. up until just this week because it just seemed like something was just a little off. And then, of course, when he got on the exempt list, I kind of I went away from it. I mean, after after that, you base and, and the way things were going in Florida where they hadn't um, tried a case for a long time or, or, you know, all that kind of stuff, it just seemed like they were going to spend the year uh, with no activity on this thing. And he was just going to go into next year and we would miss out. And, and all of a sudden this news came and, uh, it was crazy. I mean, losing your freedom is no joke, you know, and, um, and, and the bonus for us is that he's going to be a Seahawk and he's going to be on the team and participate, but personal level for him, that's got to be just such a huge relief. Hopefully he's going to be able to focus on football and um, and have a great impact on the secondary. And we're going to talk about all of it, how he fits in, how Adams fits, all the other guys. I mean, Keith, on paper, on paper, we've got a, like a top two or three secondary in the NFL, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's suddenly gotten significantly better with, uh, you know, a trade last week and then getting you know, they're one of their starting cornerbacks back uh, off the exempt list this week. And suddenly what, I mean, it was never really that big of a concern, but now you're all of a sudden you're like, you're like, Whoa, okay, this is going to be good. And yeah. 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 We know pro football focus. And I'll get into this in a little bit, but pro football focus had ranked them fifth in the NFL before the Dunbar situation was completely figured out. Like they were, they were giving us that ranking based on the fact that Dunbar probably wasn't going to be on the Seahawks. And now after that, it's we're loaded. Mm-hmm. We just, we just are. All right. Before we get into the secondary, let's talk a little bit about what's going on this week. John Ursua, uh, kind of the fifth, sixth wide receiver on the Seahawks last year, test positive for COVID before he tested negative. Um, so we don't know for sure if it's a po- false positive or a false negative. He's got to have one more test. Um, don't want to mess around with John's health, but I'm hoping it's negative so he can get back out there. You've got to have two negative tests in a row before you can return to team activities. Yeah. So it's, that's interesting. It's odd that, you know, it was a, um, he tested positive, then he tested negative, And basically we're like, we don't even know if he has it or if it's a false or, um, yeah, I mean it's just it's weird, but you know what? Get him in quarantine, get him away from everyone else, so that way the rest of the team can continue to move on safely and follow the protocol. And hopefully, the protocol is well developed by um, the league and and actually uh, does protect everybody else. And you know, it's kind of a test case for for the Seahawks. It's their first positive test. Yeah. Well, and all indications appear to, to be that the Seahawks really want to take this seriously and oh, yeah. are doing everything they can to mitigate um, the, the possibility of um, of being contagious. Now, you know, back in the old days, uh, players used to just hold up in hotels during training camp and you didn't even return home, even if you lived in the same city. And um, are they going home now, Keith, or is this truly camp and they're staying somewhere where they're not in contact with their family every day? This is truly camp. They're, um, this is the training camp part where they're not going back to their families. They have uh, like two and a half weeks of this where it's uh, 
um, you know, they're away from their families. It's just team activities. It's just team stuff. So this is the part where if they did a good job of getting everyone into the bubble, that you've actually got a little bit of a bubble and um, they'll be able to. So you're saying trouble could creep up in about three weeks time. Yeah, it's that's really what it's going to come down to is if they uh, when everything is relaxed and they start going home to their families, um, that also means they some of the players, you know, younger guys will start going out at night, um, even if they're told that it's or a people around really them. bad idea. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then you have the possibility of someone picking it up. So hopefully that's not the case, but, um, if, but it's a big league with lots of players and lots of coaches, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it is what well, it is. No, we have the Eagles head Keith, coach. I mean, they're going to cancel college football. Like this is, you know, this is serious. And I've always thought that if the, if there's so much money in the NFL that I thought if there's any possible way that they can do it, they're going to play. Oh um, yeah. And that seems to still be the case. And the NFL, quite frankly, so far has been act pretty darn good as far as uh, active COVID cases in the league. And they've done an, a great job isolating those folks as soon as they're tested that way. So um, but boy, this thing really needs to, <laughs> a lot of luck goes into this, mm-hmm. um, season trying to figure it out and navigate it. Well, I mean, I mean, this is one of those things that you and I've been talking about for well, a couple months now. And, um, what you don't want is a Florida Marlin situation where, you know, they had a couple people that they knew had tested positive and they ran them out there and played them in a game anyway. Um, and then suddenly their whole roster was testing and there was exposure of the other team and all of that. Like they, we need everybody taking this seriously, every team. Um, yeah, you're going to have a few players here and there that, uh, aren't going to follow, uh, safety guidelines and they're still going to go out and, and do their thing. And hopefully, uh, we end up not, uh, paying the price for a couple of, uh, really bad choices, but overall, like we need the league in its entirety to be taking this really seriously, or we're going to end up not having football this fall. Maybe we'll have football in the spring, but it won't be this fall. What What do you think about the college football thing? I think that it's surprising because you hear all these leagues that are coming around and they were saying, Oh, we're going to do it. We're going to have only conference games and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And they were trying to figure out ways to make it work and all of that. And now it looks like it might be shut down just nationally. Yeah, I heard the pack pack 12 is, is next yeah. like today yeah. with an announcement, you know, it's, it's yeah. I mean, what you're going to have what is it, this is the best year, uh, for the Seahawks to have traded away a first and a third for a, an all pro safety because with no college football season, this year, even if it's no yeah. college, fo- even if there is college football for part of the nation, but not most of it, um, or, you know what I mean? Like you still don't have a senior year for all these players. Like, what do they do? Do those players come back to college and then yeah, and with, a, I know, that's, with another year that's of the deal, L- probably, and then try and join the NFL, um, you know, as an, an older prospect, which we know, you know, tends to not uh, not be a good plan right. for, for those players? and Or, you know, do they 
if they can get this thing licked, maybe they can do some sort of a, well, they'd have to do a major combine this year. I mean, it would have to be probably an expanded version of, you know, some sort of testing or stuff, but you're still not going to get the in-game action and so forth. Exactly. Um, There's a whole year of development. Uh, oh, it's a, hor- it's a horrible situation. For a lot of players. I would, it, I would think that it's going to have, you're going to add a year and of eligibility and you're just going to have to be what it is. Yeah, so, it's just going to have to be what it so is. So next year's draft class is going to be empty because basically you've got, um, juniors that played that you have tape on and that's it yeah you've got a you've got a few you'll have a few star players that do you think they take the draft from seven rounds to like four? Oh, they'll have to that'd be crazy I mean, oh my goodness look what they did. i mean the ramifications of all this is just nuts. look at what they did in in baseball right the baseball draft is like 187 rounds or okay it's not that bad but <laughs> it, it 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 is like right. it is like Eight, it's seventy some odd yeah, rounds. Yeah, it, it's it's almost eighty rounds. Um, and they did five this year. They did five. They had a five round draft. Um, and you're going to see something really similar happen in football because there won't have been college football. You'll be drafting people who haven't played in a year and a half. You'll be there, there's an entire lost year of development and tape and all of that. Um, you know, like I said, you'll have, you'll have a few star players that have been just dying for their eligibility for the draft to come around that are, that will come in and teams will be, um, you know, going in and doing what they need to, to draft those guys. And then you'll have a bunch of people who, you know, they had just lost their starting job on their college team. Um, you know, and so they entered the draft because why not? Their draft stock's not going to get any higher. And so it's going to be a, a kind of a bimodal uh, draft in that way. And it's just going to be weird. And so for the Seahawks to have basically punted on, you know, a lot of the the 2021 draft, I'm kind of okay with. Well, it, it turns out pretty, pretty good mm-hmm. uh, in that respect. Now, when you take a look at it just from a human uh, condition sort of situation. I understand why colleges are hesitant to put all their, um, not only their players, but student, um, students and faculty coaches at risk, uh, controlling behavior at the NFL level is hard enough or NBA or NBA, uh, major league baseball, et cetera. But to expect 18 year olds, you know, 20 year olds, uh, freshly turned 21 year olds, to behave in a certain way over massive leagues. Um, you know, we're talking way, way more players than the NFL has. So it's, it's just one of those deals where it's, it's not even about football at the college level so much. It is that it's, it's, it's about the students. Oh, absolutely. You know? And so you have all of these class, all of these colleges that are closing, um, they're they're closing their campus to students because it's not safe. But then you're going to expect the football players to come in and uh, practice and and do all the normal stuff. But none of the other students are there. Like you're just talking about like opening up um, liability and and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's just not it's not conducive. It's just not happening. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't set ourselves up well enough to control this thing to play football 
Now, the NFL is different because it's a paid league with lots of money and um, it's a slightly better controlled situation. It's not it's not optimal, but it's better. And so they're going to give it a go. But are they going to play a complete season this year? That remains to be seen. Yeah, we'll see. They're talking about the resurgence of COVID and the second wave, all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. we just don't know. But for right now... Here we are. We're in training camp. Things are happening. We're going to, it looks like we'll at least get to, you know, the, the 13th of September and kick off the, the NFL. Um, let's talk about the Seahawks. So the Seahawks this week cut Brian Allen and Anthony Jones. Brian Allen's a cornerback that was on the practice squad, got back uh, an invitation. Nice size guy. I talked about him earlier mm-hmm. a few shows ago that I thought maybe Brian Allen would have the inside track to get that fifth uh, corner spot because he's got great size, a fifth-round pick in 2017. So he's got some experience hanging around. 6'3", 215, ran a 4'4", 40, 34-inch arms and 10-inch hands. I mean, this guy's a big guy. It's almost as if he could play safety, Um, but they decided to cut him. Now, it doesn't mean he won't come back. They, They make these moves all the time. And they also cut Anthony Jones, a running back, um, and they're down to 77 with John Ursula currently off the roster. Uh, it makes you question whether or not they're holding open two two roster spots for two players. Yeah, uh, it's one of it, this is weird because it, typically in training camp situation, it w- if they drop someone, they have someone else on the roster. Uh, they backfill right within away. seconds because they want the full 90 out there at practice every day. And this year it's 80 because of the, um, the COVID rules, but for them to have open roster spots for more than a few minutes is weird. Yes. So it does make me wonder if, uh, you know, they, they don't have someone else in mind. Like they're, they're not doing this because they've got someone that um, they're, in the process of trying to get a physical for. Right. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we haven't announced it by the end of the day mm-hmm. because full practices begin tomorrow. So like uh full no pad practices begin tomorrow at camp. And so um, you'll, you'll likely see some activity today to get a body in. Now they've got to go through testing yep. uh, before they can get to the field, but so we won't see them on the field for a while. Yeah. It's also also wanted to point out too that the the practices are starting to live stream tomorrow. I know. So I think they're doing like ten or twelve or fifteen days of mm-hmm. live streaming uh, on Seahawks dot com. So make sure you check that out. Yeah, I'm actually was we we thought last week we talked about not knowing um, what they were going to do with the the streaming exactly, um, and then this year, uh, you know, because you can't go out, you can't go there, you can't sit on the berm in the sun and and watch practice or um, you know, any of that stuff. So for the live stream is going to be, going to be real important for, for fans to kind of just be able to see what's going on and really get a taste for, for this year's team. And so it is, it is kind of cool to see that they're, they're bringing it back. Now, hopefully they're bringing it back in a format that allows us to actually watch practice and not have practice going on behind people who are talking. Um, but yeah, I mean it. It will be nice too. It's better than nothing. I'll take I'll take the talking this year as long as I can see stuff going on in the background. I don't. I would normally not, but I'm so desperate right now for some semblance of normal and football and stuff. Yeah, I'll take Jen. I'll take Jen Mueller talking for ten minutes about 
you know, cooking and what, you know, Marcus Dufont did back, you know, 15 years ago, that's fine. But, um, I want to be able to see my guys, my DK Medcalfs, my, uh, Adams with the 33, uh, 33, uh, number Jersey on, I want to see what Collier looks like this year. Does he, does he lean down? Is he beefed up to move inside a little bit? Who, you know, I want to kind of see what's going on. So, um, Yesterday, I saw that ESPN ranked the Seattle linebacker group as number one in the NFL. That That's really no surprise, but it's kind of a nice thing to to have. And then you combine that with the secondary. Things are looking pretty decent. And maybe they're holding that roster spot open or two spots for the defensive line. And all of a sudden, dude, say we add Griffin and maybe an interior defensive tackle or maybe just Griffin and they expect Collier and Green to slide inside. I'd totally be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And that would be a home run for me on an off season that took a long time to develop. But if it happened, we are seriously in the Super Bowl talk. Well, if you add a couple defensive linemen, uh, def- the, the defense is, would then be Super Bowl ready because we know, um, that the, uh, we know the linebackers are ready. Um, and we're going to talk today about the secondary and how ready it is. Um, I mean, these are the back seven of this defense is absolutely elite on a talent level. I'm going to say overall, it's probably the best we've ever had. Except for 20. In ten, in, under, under Pete Carroll. Except for 2013. Even when you combine all the depth talent as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so starting <laughs> level, ta- we'll talk about it, but starting level talent. You know, you've still got Bobby Wagner. You've still got KJ Wright. And then you're adding Jordan Brooks, a number one draft pick. True. And then, and then you've got Irvin back. <laughs> and, and, and then you've got Cody Barton that's probably going to wither on the vine this year, but he's one of the, probably the, the best reserve line, linebackers we've had in 10 years. <laughs> um, right. Cause we've hadn't had great reserve linebackers for a while. So our reserve linebackers are pretty, choice this year yeah okay and then you look at the secondary now we had thomas we had chancellor we had richard sherman um richard sherman maxwell browner whatever right that group right that's a good group you've that's got, great group. that's a historically good you've group. got three no first question. ballot hall of famers in that group three first ballot hall of famers but check this out so you got adams he's probably destined for that he's at least that he's at least playing at an all pro level early in his career Right, mm-hmm. and then you've got Dunbar, who's a Pro Bowler. Then you've got uh, Griffin, Griffin, who's a Pro, who's bowler. A pro bowler. You got, yep. Right, so there's three Pro Bowlers on the back end. Okay. Plus, but, you've got Diggs, who's an alternate Pro Bowler last year. So, so you got four Pro Bowlers starter, four four starting Pro Bowlers in the secondary. True, no, but go compare back that, and look at the. But if you go back to 2013, you've got um, three first ballot Hall of Famers, yes. Um, in the secondary, so you're saying that trumps Pro Bowlers? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. No, you're right. But what I'm saying is, it's we're having a conversation around that. It's in we're in the conversation now. Obviously, this is on paper, and we have to go out and actually play. Mm -hmm. But this group has the potential to be, you know, the 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 sec. I'll just say it: the second best overall. 
uh, back seven that the Seahawks have had under Pete Carroll. And quite frankly, it's probably in the Seahawks history. Yeah. Um, and it's deeper. So when you looked at the, at the, the that, you know, the 2013, 2014 years the, in there, the Seahawks were really, really dang good. Um, uh, on, at every level. And we stayed healthy. Yeah. And we didn't have to use our depth, um, you know, that year. Well, and then in 2014, we kind of did because at the end of the year, you had all these guys that were banged up um, and they came out, went out and played and they, you know, were, you know, given everything for, for the team trying to, you know, to win that second Super Bowl. Um, but they were kind of banged up and there wasn't depth behind them. And that was a concern. Um but this year's group, okay, you don't have all the all of the um, first ballot Hall of Famers in the secondary, but you do have Pro Bowl level talent, and you've got good players behind them. Um, I mean, when you look at, you know, you went through that list. Who was the Marquise Blair back in 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 twenty thirteen twenty fourteen? Um, you know, the rook or I guess is now a second year player who was impressive when he got on the field and looked like a uh, surefire starter that now is no longer, you know, he has to fight just to see the field. Um, you know, where was the uh, guys like, it's pretty exciting, like um, Trey Flowers and Ugo Amati, uh, you know, they you. Have, exactly, Keith. That's what I'm talking about. Overall, this is. I like the depth. The, the one of the best units that yeah. the Seahawks have ever fielded. I really like the depth. I really like the depth at linebacker because uh, somehow in there you've got uh, Irvin and Barton. That when, we've got to find a spot for them on the field. The other, right. the other three no, normally guys are they play. can start. They can start for half the league. There's just no question. Yeah, definitely. Um, er- and then you add Shaquem Griffin in there and Burke Irvin. Burke Irvin was an excellent linebacker. Now I know he's undersized in the in the NFL, but in, in college football he was very productive and very instinctual. Um, he's just six foot and two thirty, so you got to figure out what his fit is. Now the same thing can be said for Griffin as well, six foot two twenty seven, mm-hmm. but he's got elite speed. So elite speed, um, elite strength um, for your, you know for that position. Um, yeah. I think they cut Burke Irvin this year and probably put him on the practice squad, to be honest. The practice squad went to 15 players, mm-hmm. and you can have uh, guys that were on your active roster uh, onto, the, onto the practice squad this year. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But there's only so much room. And we're going to talk about a ton of guys today, especially on the, on the secondary. We're talking about linebackers right now. But you could, if you went and kept Griffin, you're going to keep six linebackers. Um, and that's you've got if you're going to keep six you've got to find another place where you're only going to keep you know inst- instead of 10 linemen you're going to keep nine and you know in the secondary you might have to make a choice yeah on the, on a cornerback typic- situation typically teams um keep you know it's, it's, the general rule is um is you you go uh nine six uh ten right so you have six linebackers and then you have um, either nine up front and 10 in the back or nine in the back and 10 up front. That's kind of the, the kind of what everybody does. Um, sometimes you'll see teams keep five linebackers in order to, to go 10, 10, but that's always temporary because 
you know, a linebacker gets hurt. I mean, they, they hit a lot of, and somebody will get banged up and whatever. And then you got to get bodies in. And, um, well, there's the value of having, um, uh, green and Collier on the roster on the, on the defensive line, because you can slide those guys inside and maybe get away with one less. So you have nine linemen. Yeah. You know, well, and it's also, it's also one of the situations where you have Irvin, who is he, yes he, exactly he's going to count as a linebacker and be the sixth you know linebacker perhaps but he's also a defensive end and uh so you can you know you can move him around and you can move uh collier and green inside on passing downs and so you can maybe get get away with less um one less defensive tackle on the roster and um you know that kind of like flexibility to move guys around is useful when trying to put the roster together at the end of um, training camp and preseason and, and cut 90 down to 53. Now this year it's 80 down to 53, but it's still down to 53. I mean, that's, that's the, the key part. You got to get your team set and uh, there's, it's never easy. There's always players you want to keep that you have to let go. So let's talk players. So let's move, let's move to our uh, to main conversation in the secondary Keith. Let's go through it just and and try to figure out like how it's going to all fit together because it's it's going to be pretty amazing to watch. I'm so excited, especially you mentioned Marquise Blair. Um, let's start with the safeties. So Marquise Blair, you know, you could argue deserved maybe a chance to have a real shot at at starting this year, uh, if not for the the quality of the starters in front of him. Um, but but at six two two oh five, we all saw a little bit of promise last year. Now sure. He was out of place a little bit, and quite frankly, um, there there were situations in our secondary last year that I just it just wasn't quite right, and so you just don't know exactly what was going on with like a Marquis Blair or a Mahdi, why they didn't quite get the opportunities that maybe we thought they should get, and they didn't, so they didn't play as much, and. Um, and when they did play, they seem maybe just a little out of step or lost or hesitating a little bit. And so it'll be interesting to see if a guy like Marquise Blair with an entire offseason in the playbook, watching film, can come in and just be ready to be a competent um, player who's got that playbook completely under control and goes out and actually plays without thinking and and is very instinctive because I know in college he was a very instinctive player. Uh, a ball hawk kind of guy, a guy that's always around the ball. And if he can turn into that for the Seahawks, even if it's in a reserve role, there might not even be a a, a step back when when he gets out there to play. He's such a playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it the and he has the playing flexibility to play in the box. And he's got the long speed to play deep, and so he he trans he he gives you that flexibility like an Adams does like a Diggs does, you know, Diggs can play a little bit of box for you, but he's, he's going to be in the back end this year. Um, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I, at the time, you know, when I was really looking at, at Marquise Blair this off season, I was thinking that eventually he would take over for Bradley McDougald. Um, just because I just thought there's just more upside. I, I like Bradley McDougald, but you know what? He was just a good steady pro. He wasn't the guy that was like, lightning on in a bottle and and making plays all over the field and stuff and, so and Blair can be I mean he this when he got yes he was out of position a couple times or whatever he he did rookie things um as a rookie but he also did really promising things that we say basically he flashed and um he looked 
outstanding. And um, for him to not uh, get on the field more after those uh, couple of starts when he played really well was very confusing. And I know that, you know, I think the team thought they were, um, they were a contender and they wanted, they didn't want, uh, you know, those kind of rookie growing pains to cost the team. Um, but in week seven and eight, he had 17 tackles, 12 solo, mm -hmm. one pass breakup, um, and a forced fumble, you know, he just he he looked like he deserved an opportunity and they took it away. Yeah. Um and I agree. They they did that because they were at that point in the season, I think they were like seven and one or yeah. eight and one or something. Um and they ran it out to um it was eleven and one, wasn't it? Or no, it was when they beat San Francisco. Ten and two or, uh, um, when they beat San Francisco the first time, I thought it was eight and one. Maybe that's what it was. I, they they just they 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 put these these wins they these wins together, and it looked like, hey, this is a great team. Um, and I mean, there were signs that it was, you know, they were a little bit of a paper tiger. They were winning but, by one point here and there. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so there, there were <laughs> right. there were signs of that, but it was, um, you know, the re the win loss record. So if you were in the room. Um, with the team, like you could not have convinced them they weren't a contender. And so I can kind of see like, you know, get the, get the veterans back out there, get the people that you've won with. But this was a great looking uh, player who didn't get the field because the team was afraid of rookie mistakes. And sometimes you just got to play the rookies and let them grow, let them learn through it. And, you know, now we've got a situation where Blair is the third safety again. Um, granted, it's a massive upgrade from McDougal to Adams um, the, in front of him, but, you know, Blair's going to have to fight to see the field. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a good thing, you know, that, that he's, he's there. Now Diggs is contractually with the Seahawks for another, I think it's two years. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Marquise Blair will be on a, contract year the following year as well so, yeah. so you got we it'll be interesting to see if he can push through that now i don't anticipate him replacing digs at this point in fact it could be used as a hedge um with the digs uh contract uh in the future but it also could be a situation where uh, marquise blair ends up um being a, a trade value piece for the Seahawks. And I hate to say that because I, I would love to see the, the, the young guy be able to get an opportunity, but uh, it may come, it may be an injury situation where he gets an opportunity or it could be another team. Mm -hmm. um, we just don't know at this point. Or it could just be that they're going to get him an opportunity at, not as a starter, but as a, you know, in, in a big nickel situation where you have three. Well, and that's what Pete Carroll's talked about. Yeah, where you have three safeties on the field, especially when one of them is Adams, who can play linebacker, he can play slot corner, he can come up and rush the passer, he can do anything. And so to have him on the field and have Blair out there, you just have a lot more speed, a lot more uh, flexibility. You could do really anything out of that uh, formation. And so um, just to have, you know, that kind of option, I, I could see Blair getting a reasonable amount of play, playing time as a big nickel this year. Well, do you think, <clears throat> do you think that he would have to fight Ugo Amadi for playing time in that situation? Now you said big nickel. What about Ugo Amadi playing in the slot 
oh, as as a third cornerback in certain situations? And do they end up competing against each other for playing time? Yes, they do. Because Ugo Amadi is a is is a slot corner. He is a he's the small nickel. Um, where Marquise Blair is the big nickel. And so then it's five nine, two hundred and one pounds, ran a four five one forty, but plays quicker. Plays much quicker um than that. And is an a natural ball hawk himself. And um, Do you know that Ugo Amadi only had seventy six defensive snaps in two thousand twenty? Yeah. It seemed like he played more, but you know, most of that most of his playing time came on special teams. Yeah, he was he was a special teams mainstay. Um kind of a special team star looked really good in that role. Didn't get on the field as a, um, and, and actually any playing time to like the last couple weeks. Uh, he was a complete non-factor at cornerback um, in, you know, because they had, they, they, they kept playing uh, Jamal Adams. No, that's not the right word. Jamal Taylor. Um who was terrible at at the slot corner spot, and then they cut him, and they they go, yeah, we're gonna you know give Ugo Amadi a shot, and then Amadi didn't play, and instead it was King who got you know all the playing time in in the nickel, um, and you know King's gone now, and uh, Amadi didn't get in until till right at the end of the year, and Pete Carroll was like, oh yeah, we probably should have played him more. He looked really good. Yeah, you think? Um, you- <laughs> well, in his last uh, three games, he played uh, nickel corner mm-hmm. and had 55 snaps, five tackles, and an interception after not seeing a single defensive snap between week three and week 14. Yeah. So, you know, he was a gunner on, on punt coverage and stuff, and I think that's where we saw him a lot. Yep. But it'd be interesting. It'd be very interesting because I think in the offseason, the assumption was that he would get the shot at starting uh, in the nickel. Uh, spot and I think that still remains true, but we haven't heard a word about Ugo Amadi in the off season, like what he, what he's doing, where he's at, where his head's at. Um, if Pete Carroll still feels the same way, um, I know that they've got uh, a a couple kids on the roster um, to compete there, uh, including Linda Stevens at at corner. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but um, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see if they bring another nickel guy, camp casualty type guy in later on to compete. Yeah, I don't know. Um I think the roster seems built right the now. Roster but, se- but nonetheless the roster they, in the they, secondary does does feel built. Um but what about the nickel spot? Do you feel good right now going into the season with Ugo Amadi as your starter with no real Yes. Backup there other than Adams can play in the slot occasionally. Diggs can play because in the slot. Because that's what's going to happen is you're going to you're going to see Amadi as the slot corner. You're going to see um, you've got Adams and Diggs who can both cover in the slot. Um, well, and you've got Blair there to pick up you know the the slack at safety. Um, and so you're going to like you're going to see situations where you've got uh, Adams lining up as a slot corner and Blair at strong safety. You're going to see situations where Blair rotates back and Diggs rotates outside um, in the slot. Um, and quite frankly, you're going to see situations where if they have to, they bring Trey Flowers back in um, on the outside and you allow someone like Shaq Griffin to slide inside uh, and cover the the shiftier corners on the inside and, and let Flowers play where he's got a boundary to help protect him uh and i mean that's the kind of kind of situation that there's just a lot of flexibility there and i don't see a reason 
at this point why they wouldn't just roll with what they've got. I mean, if a really good uh, slot corner, let's say Justin Coleman, ends up available because of a cap cap reason and wants to come back and will come back on a, you know, because he's cut at the end of the year, it becomes a league minimum kind of situation. You Okay, yeah, go go you go bring Justin Coleman back. I mean, he's one of the best slot corners in the league. Um, but they're going to have, like, you're going to have to have a situation like that for them to go up and really shake up the defensive rotation, I think, at least on the back end. The front, at defensive line, they're still looking to add bodies, but I think they're set um, in the secondary. So let's start talking about uh, the, the free safety spot in, in digs uh, being the starter for a full year, Keith. Last year, we had him for five games, a huge impact. I think everybody's really excited about the impact that Diggs is going to have as a full-time starter. And you pair that with newly acquired Jamal Adams, that safety tandem in the, uh, for the Seahawks is, is second only to Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor in the way that it affects the entire defense. Um, how do you feel about Diggs and then having Marquise Blair as the backup there? obviously, um, and going into a season and, and hopefully getting a full season out of digs. Man, if we can get a full season out, uh, you know, 16 games out of digs, that would be phenomenal because I mean, you look at the impact that he made last year. He, when he played, uh, this defense was significantly better with him than without him. And, you know, even like guys like Trey Flowers, who struggled last year, played significantly better in the games with Diggs in the back than he did when it was, um, you know, Tedrick Thompson. So I think that you're in a situation where it's going to be, it's it's such a lift to have a guy on the back end that everybody trusts, that plays at a Pro Bowl level, um, and allows them to go to that, you know, cover three scheme with a single high safety back there and not have to drop your strong safety back um, into the back end, which the CX had to do uh, on in the games without without digs last year, and so they played a lot of cover two, where McDougal was also bailing and you know ending up in the back end. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and so in order to have you know now you, now they can have that single high safety that they trust back there by himself who can cover all the ground that needs covered um, and do all those things, and it allows them to use Adams as Adams and to have him be everywhere, be, be up at the line of scrimmage to be, you know, at the linebacker depth to, you know, move outside in and, and cover a corner or, um, you know, because then you, because Adams is so good at, at, at coverage and things he can cover a wide receiver and, and you can run a corner blitz, um, and, and do those kind of things. Like you can do all these like kind of cool, uh, different wrinkles and everything because you've got a guy in the back that everybody trusts and a guy in front of him at strong safety who can do anything and everything. And so I think that's just a cool um, combination to have, but they just haven't had uh, a guy like Diggs since Earl Thomas. And even when with Earl Thomas, the last two years of Earl Thomas both ended in a broken leg and Tedrick Thompson. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, so you had, we've had a couple of years with, um, you know, with Tedrick now and, and 
they were a, they were a failure, and you got they brought Diggs. That was in, so hard to watch. So I'm still confounded better. how we stuck with um with him for so long. I love Pete, but it was a detriment to the entire defense when Tedrick Thompson was on the field, and week after week, failure after failure, Pete would come to Tedrick's rescue during the press conference, and I'm just wondering. Why you think that that happened? Why we went with uh, Jamar Taylor for a while? Why did we make those mistakes and continue to run those guys out onto the field? Um, and, and obviously they learned from that. They have Diggs and Adams at this point. Um, I think they saw that they needed to spend the money at at, at those spots. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can come up with. I just don't understand myself, I, especially given the characterization and the reputation that Pete Carroll has as a secondary guy. Well, there's a couple different points. Parts of it is one um, that Tedrick Thompson has basically what, what we found out is that during practice, he would go out and he would look like Earl Thomas. I mean, he's, he's got elite speed and was all over the place and whatever. And then he'd get out there in games and, you know, be like a completely different guy and, and not in a good way. I mean, basically he was the inverse Dave Craig. Um, and this is going back a little bit, but you know, Dave That's Craig funny. was, was, um, you know, really not a practice player and had a hard time, uh, beating out Jim Zorn and actually getting on the field. Uh, you know, cause he even had the starting job and then lost it back to Zorn and then got it back. You know, if you look at, look at that, at, uh, that transition, uh, it was because, you know, Craig was terrible at practice, but he'd get out and, and on game day and perform. Um, he was a gamer. And, yeah. And, um, you know, Tedrick was kind of the opposite. He was a guy who looked really good in practice and just never put it together on the field. And maybe it was a confidence issue or maybe it was just a, when it's actually live action and it's at full speed and there's hitting involved and whatever, um, you know, he just doesn't show as well. And so that really was part of it. Um, I don't blame Pete Carroll for coming to his defense because that's what Pete Carroll does. Find me a time when a player performed poorly that Pete Carroll came out and said, oh yeah, they were awful. No, he doesn't do that. He stands up for his guys. It's why everyone loves him. It's why uh, players want to play for him because he will go to bat for his guys. And um, so of course he would come out and he would say whatever he needed to do to try and protect Tedrick Thompson. But that doesn't mean that in the meeting rooms that, you know, when they look at film uh, in the safety room, that Tedrick wasn't getting roasted. It is, they're not going to do it publicly. And I think that's to Pete Carroll's credit. Uh, I know everyone would oh, I love, do too. I, I know everyone would love for him to just be honest and be like, yeah, that was awful. We need to, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go trade for Quandre Diggs and fix that. Um, but that's not, you're not going to get that. I mean, you're, there are other coaches that will do that. And players typically try and get out away from those teams. Um, and players want to come to Seattle. Uh, and I think that, that's a good, that's a good part of why. So, um, and then a part of the other thing is that, you know, they had uh, Hill also, who is a natural strong safety, but can play, could play free safety and everything. And I, they really wanted to get him on the field and he could not stay healthy. Um, he, when he was out there, he was better than Thompson, 
but he just couldn't stay healthy. He would, um, you know, play, play pretty well for half a game and then get banged up. And, and it was, it just never really worked out. I think he's still on the roster. Um, he is still on the roster. In fact, he's the primary backup to Jamal Adams right now. I was going to ask you about how you felt uh, with Lano Hill. He's coming into his fourth year and mm-hmm. has yet to really make an impact on this, on this team. And you pointed to the reason why. Yeah. And so, you know, he is a, he's a guy with, with talent. And when he was at, when he got on the field, a lot of times it was out of, it was a lot of times it was out of position. It was uh, on the back end. It was uh, at free safety, but he was better than, than Tedrick Thompson. He just would then turn around and get hurt and Tedrick would have to come back in. And that just was a situation that um, it just kept becoming a problem. And Yes, he's listed as the primary backup to Jamal Adams, uh, but you and I both know that the primary backup to Jamal Adams right now is Marquise Blair. Because yeah, Marquise uh, Blair can play both. He can. And in fact, he, he, he was, um, he's a strong safety uh, mentally, and that's what, you know, when he came into the league. And the team's like, no, he's going to be um, a hybrid. So they had him in both roles. And then uh, basically that what, there was a point in the season where they're like, no, we, we're we're committing him just to free safety. And I think because they wanted to get him ready because they knew the Tedrick Thompson situation was a mess. Um, but then they traded for Diggs, and they're like, oh, well, we traded for Diggs, So now um, Blair's going back to the hybrid safety role where he can do both. And so, um, but they were, they were prepping Blair to take over for Tedrick there for a while. Uh, and, you know, yes. they, God, I wish they had done that sooner. <laughs> I do too. So let's talk about Jamal Adams. I mean, we have to kind of because he's new to the team and we don't really know what kind of impact he might have. Uh, Wrong. (laughs) We know exactly what he's going to do for this defense. But let's talk about him because he's the fun new toy on the defense that we have been missing for a while. What does he do for everyone else on this defense that we've been missing? And when you pair him with Diggs and you look at the secondary overall, Talk to me about the impact that Jamal Adams has on the Seahawks in 2020. Well, schematically, Diggs can do, or not Diggs, um, uh, Adams can do everything. He can do, he can literally do everything. He can play linebacker. He can set the edge. He can cover a slot. Um, he can cover on the outside. He can uh, come up and, and be an enforcer. He can line up at defensive end and rush the passer. I mean, he can do anything for you. Uh, and having Diggs on the back end, who everybody trusts, allows you to use Adams to his fullest extent. He will be the strong safety from a personnel standpoint, you know, but schematically, he might line up in those other positions. Now he'll still be he'll still be the strong safety, but you don't he's not playing, you know, where you traditionally have a strong safety state. So he gives us can, the maximum roster flexibility that we can possibly have. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and you, you can't really take advantage of that if you don't have a guy like Diggs in the back, because like, look what they had to do with McDougal. They had to rotate him back in and play cover two. Are you really playing cover two with Adams as your strong safety and having him, you know, cover the, a deep half of the field? I, I think, it? I think they, they will only for scheme diversity reasons, personnel matchups and so forth. I think they will like on a. And they go into a zone situation. Teams, yeah, they'll yep, keep teams you know, honest, right? Um, you know, or they they can't be like, okay, we we just assume that it's a cover one, and so if we get the ball, 
uh, on the boundary outside that, you know, maybe Diggs can't get all the way over to the sidelines. Um, well, Jamal Adams gives you an opportunity to play a lot more man than you used to play because, yeah. and with Quandre Diggs. So to me, we were talking about uh, Quentin Dunbar um, and we'll, we'll get to those guys in, in just a second, the cornerback group. Um, but a guy like Trey Flowers is a much better man cover guy than he is in his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is some upside promise for, um, for Trey flowers to me. I thought even with Dunbar out, Trey would, would maybe turn into a better corner this year just because of the safety group. Um, but now coming into kind of a reserve role possibly, or they, or, or a boundary corner, uh, and they move Dunbar inside into the slot. There's a lot of options right now for the Seahawks, and, but Jamal Adams is kind of the key cog that kind of puts that together. Um, and also, Keith, speak to what Jamal Adams brings to the Seahawks as far as uh, a character, uh, a, a guy that's uh, a leadership guy to the team that maybe we've been missing for a while. Well, I mean, it, he was unquestionably the leader of the Jets defense, um, not just from a performance and talent standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint. You could watch those games and other defenders would feed off his energy and he would get in someone's face if they, um, you know, started freelancing and, and weren't doing uh, their job. And um, he held other people re- accountable, but but he was that big emotional leader, that huge personality that really every defense needs because defense is so much of an emotional, um, I mean, you have to, you have to go up and hit people and you, some of that, you just have to be, have that, like you'd be jacked That's why up I was so excited for Marquise Blair last year when he had those two impactful games. I was like, this is what the defense is missing. And yeah. then they took him out of it. And I was like, man, we could use that. So it's not that the Seahawks didn't have leadership. I mean, they had Bobby Wagner, who's an all pro and, and, you know, KJ Wright's out there too. And, and, you know, they've Bradley got, McDougald was, you know, was a quality guy. True. But they're all, they were all the same kind of leader. Um, and it's different because they're quiet leaders, right? They're quiet performers. They aren't going to go get in someone's face. They don't, uh, jump up and down and scream and and really get other people fired up the same way Cam Chancellor did. He was the absolute emotional leader of uh, the Seahawks when he was uh, here. Um, when he got hurt and left, Earl Thomas stepped into that role uh, and did it well until he got hurt. Uh, up front, you had Michael Bennett who who would do that, and Richard. Well, Sherman I was just going to say, yeah, last year though we had Clowney. But I didn't really see a lot of emotion out of Clowney either. He just, he you know, occasionally when he made big plays, but mm-hmm. in between he was fairly innocuous, I thought. Yeah, I mean, he 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 was a little bit of, a, of that, but he just didn't have that same consistent energy that everyone else can feed off of uh, the same way that like Cam Chancellor did. And it's something that this this defense lacked because you have to have both. You've got to have, you know, the the, the quiet leaders that's going to pull someone aside on the sidelines and, and, you know, talk them up. Or if they're getting too jacked up the way, you know, you'd see sometimes like Richard Sherman do it his rookie and second year. Um, and someone would, you know, pull him over to the sideline and, and, and calm him down and get him, you know, get his head back right and that kind of stuff. You've got to have those quiet leaders that can do that. But you also need those emotional leaders that can get everyone up, that can, you know, if you give up a big play and whatever, that can, you know, get everyone 
ready and focused and being aggressive again the next time out. And uh, they kind of lacked that. And that's the kind of player, that's the kind of person that Adams is, is he's a guy, he's an emotional leader. He's a big demonstrative, um, you know, guy that, pep, that pep other jogger. people can look I mean, at. Yeah. I yeah mean, he's he going to get out there and fire people up. He's got that energy that defenses need and this at the teams kind of lacked. And I, I think that it was, it's such a good pickup from that point of view and that it's going to make other people better just by having him out there, not just from a talent perspective, but just from an energy perspective. So let's go to the the cornerback room. Um, Right now, after we cut Brian Allen, which we talked about earlier, the Seahawks have 10 uh, corners on the roster currently, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, which is crazy. Um, But let's start at the top. We've got Quentin Dunbar. We've talked about, um, um, and then uh, Quill Griffin and Trey Flowers, and then uh, Ua Amadi uh, kind of comes over and plays in the nickel. Um, that's the base group on the corner room, and then we've got some guys vying for um, the, the the fifth spot uh, or a special teams, you know, guru like Nico Thorpe. But they've also got guys like Lyndon Stevens there. A guy that ran a four three eight forty six foot one ninety three, pretty decent size for a slot corner, and then they've got a big guy, big corner, and Ryan Neal, six three two hundred pounds, ran a four four forty. He's got a really nice athletic profile, and then Jason uh, Stanley uh, was a college wide receiver from Georgia. Originally went into the camp, I think, with Atlanta, um, yeah, six two. 207, 33 inch arms, 35 vertical, 80 inch wingspan, 43740. He's a gunner. He's kind of a special teams guy as well. So it's interesting. I think maybe that Nico Thorpe role um, might be in jeopardy for Nico Thorpe this year based on the fact that Nico is coming off an injury. He's getting older. His contract's elevated now for a, a minimum vet guy. And maybe a young, uh, young guy can come in and develop a little bit more into an actual cornerback for the team, as well as a special teams contributor. How do you see the cornerbacks group this year, Keith, uh, when it's all stacked up? So um, I kind of agree with you. I I have been hesitant to put Nico Thorpe on the bubble because he's actually a captain. Um, He is the, he's a special teams captain for this team and has been for the last couple of years. But when he was out last year, did the special teams get significantly worse without him? <clears throat> and I don't think so, because what you saw was the development of Ugo Amadi and um, Shaquem Griffin as the as the two gunners, as the stars on you know special teams. And both of those guys did really well in that role. They were they were very good players. And you know, Keem. Uh, is a guy that has, you know, some of those leadership talents that would allow him to be uh, a special teams captain. And so I think that you have, you're in a situation where you can go with the younger guys and, you know, the guy that they brought in from Atlanta, um, who was the wide receiver, he is Jason Stanley Stanley. That's right. He is really intriguing to me because first of all, he was learning corner from scratch um, cause he was a wide receiver and, you know, so, so there's a little bit of, you, you can't expect 
a guy to make that switch instantly. But he was learning it in Atlanta where they play a very similar defense because that's Dan Quinn's team, right? Uh, Dan Quinn was Seattle's defensive coordinator before he went to Atlanta to become a head coach. So they play a very similar scheme, and that's what he's been learning. He's been learning that from the beginning. He is got tremendous speed. He's been a standout special teams guy, but there is a lot of upside. His ability to, to to continue to improve, to continue to learn the position, and eventually, you know, become a competent player at cornerback is something that Nico Thorpe doesn't offer you. Because, um, yes, and we've talked about that for a while now. Like, what do you do with that fifth corner spot? Do you develop a guy? Now, this could be the difference to me. This is the absolute difference maker comment right here. Quentin Dunbar and Quill Griffin are both on contract years. We need to have a hedge on the roster. We just do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's possible one of those guys doesn't come back. Likely Dunbar um, out of the two. Um, And so, you know, we do have Trey Flowers, but he's in year three. uh, So the following year would be his contract year. So it'd be nice. It'd be really nice to develop one of Ryan Neal or Jason Stanley or another guy like that on the roster that could be your an outside corner in development guy. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the situation where they, they do need to look ahead and, and not have every cornerback be on in a contract year, because then you go into that <clears throat> the next off season and all of a sudden the cupboards bare and you don't want to be in that situation. So um, ultimately they need to get one of their two starters signed. And, and so we, we may see that, uh, at some point during the season is, is you see a, um, probably it'd be, Griffin. it'd be nice before camp broke if it was Griffin. Yeah. It, and get, get Quill Griffin, uh, signed to a, a long-term extension just to provide some stability. And then also to go in and get, and, and have a guy like Stanley who you believe that he is athletically there and mentally he's getting around to it and that he can become a good player. Cause I know I brought this up on the show before, but this is that's what this is Brian, uh, Byron Maxwell. He, this was a guy who didn't even wasn't even a starting cornerback in college. He was a special teams player mostly in college, uh, who had ath- the athletic traits that you could see he could develop into a, a good corner. But they were drafting a special teams player, and they drafted him, and they, you know, it it, it took three years, but eventually he got his chance to play and, uh, you know, proved that he could do it and then signed uh, an, a real big contract uh, and left, you know, left the Seahawks uh, once that, once his rookie year was done or rookie deal was done. But, you know, the team has developed corners like that in the past. And this is like, it's a very similar kind of situation where you've got a guy that just needs to learn the position. Nice. So, um, how do you think it all works together? Like the defense, like, uh, I noticed that the Atlantic had their defensive rankings, uh, published this week. Um, Seahawks last year finished 15th in pass defense DVOA and Mm -hmm. 26th in rush defense DVOA 18th overall at the Atlantic ranks us this year, 14th. Um, if you really think about it, and, and what I talked about earlier this offseason, I think you did too, was that if they could get into the top 15 conversation, 
uh, we could be a, a competent enough defense where our offense being top five ish uh, could get us to the, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of feel that way, but I think that 14th overall now with Dunbar in the fold, and maybe we add that final piece on the defensive line pushes us into the top 10 defensive conversation. And I just kind of want to figure out where you're at on the spectrum when you put it all together. Well, one of the things that, that uh, we look at is, is this is one of the top secondaries in the NFL. We have um, ESPN ranked the linebacking group as the top linebacking group in the NFL. Um, the back seven is Super Bowl ready. What's the, what's the front four going to do? Um, and even if the front four is mediocre and not great, the back seven is so good, it's still going to be a good defense. And because when we talked about before, like, oh, well, you know, if they can get up into the 15th range and in that, that was when there was no Dunbar and no Adams on the yes, back end. Absolutely. Um, you know, that was before uh, we really got a great look at uh, Brooks at linebacker. And we, you know, it's just one of those situations where we were like, okay, there's some pieces, but there's some holes. We'll see. And now you look at the back seven and the back seven is set and, and it's solid. It's really good. And what can we get out of the defensive line? If we can get more out of the defensive line than we got out of out of him last year, this defense can be can be pretty dang good. Um, it's not going to be like 2013, you know, best uh, where they were the best defense in the league by a wide margin kind of situation. But because the the defensive line isn't as dominant, but you you they're they're close. They're close to that. If they can get if Clowney decides to come in and resign. Uh, for you know, one year, ten, twelve million dollars, just to get on a roster and play. Then, you know, that is a type of situation where okay, now this defense is suddenly really good, especially if they can add a rotational defensive tackle. You know, someone Al Woods. So, would it be more important for the team to add a speed, speed edge Leo type guy like Everson Griffin, or a, a edge setting guy like Clowney, where we've already got? Rasheem Green and Collier over there. Um, and then on, but on the other side, we've got Mayoa and Taylor, an unproven rookie. And Irvin. Um, and, um, right. Oh, I mean, I know there. we've got, we've got a lot of rotation pieces, right? Alton Robinson. Mm-hmm. I know we've got a lot of rotation guys, but what's, what is now more important to make the, the defensive line complete? A guy like, uh, Griffin or a guy like Clowney? He's going to be more expensive than Griffin, by the way. True. Um, I would say if I was picking one, I would I would go pick someone on the clowny end because um, while Rasheem Green shows a ton of promise and is a guy that I think we could count on as a starter, I have no idea if Collier isn't going to be able to do it. And if Collier flames out again this year, who do you have behind him? So last year we saw Clowney paired with Ansa and whoever else was available uh, mm-hmm. on the other side to take some pressure off Clowney. Now you've got a whole list of guys with upside and potential. Mayo has proven, but he's a rotation piece. Um, but you've and got so Daryl Taylor in the draft. You've got Robinson. You've got Irvin. How does that all massage together? It's such a better balance because Ansa was uh, – he was just, it was a failure. It was a complete bust as a, as a signing. I know it was one of those things where they were 
They were hoping he could return to the to when he was a a pro bowler uh, before the injury. He never did, and so to get uh, they got nothing out of that other spot, and and then you know right. they they kind of did uh, occasionally once they made the switch and brought uh, Keem Griffin up from linebacker. Exactly right. So right. so he could he could get pressure. But he was—it was never consistent pressure because he. There would be one play where he gets completely washed out, and then right. it's like he wasn't even in there. And then the next play, he would actually get around the edge, or you know, get up far field and spin inside and get some pressure. So it was really inconsistent pressure for him. Um, but at least it was something that they didn't—they weren't getting anything from Ansa. Um, well, if I was flo- if I was um, Clowny, I would take a look at this situation now with all that help on the other side that we didn't have last year, plus the back end stuff and this defense is, and you add him into it for, for me, I would be thinking this would be his best Super Bowl opportunity as well as joining a group that would, that would clearly give him personally the opportunity to do more this year. Yeah. And to, to really show statistically how dominant he can be. Exactly. Because, because you're going to have, uh, you're going to have an extra, you know, half a second to get to the quarterback and actually get the sack rather than just the pressure uh, because the back end is good. You're going to have um, an opportunity to get upfield for tackles for loss against the run because the linebackers are going to be, you can't double team the the lineman as much because you you have to get, uh, you have to release and get upfield on the linebackers and put put a body on them, or they're going to get into the backfield. So you're you're going to have there's going to be situations for him to make plays because of the talent around him that wasn't always there last year, and so therefore statistically he didn't have a stellar year, even though if you watch the tape he was very extremely impactful. Uh, but I think he can be just as impactful this year and statistically better and make the case that he deserves the the big money that he thought he was going to get this offseason. I think even just Ben Samoa, people are just kind of throwing his name around or whatever, right? But just with 30% of the defensive snaps in his last two years, he's got 16 tackles for loss, 41 solo tackles, 11 sacks, four forced fumbles, um, uh, 18 quarterback hurries, 10 quarterback hits, 12.4% pressure rank. Uh, which rate which ranks twentieth overall for um, defensive ends? So a guy like Benson Mayoa is, and you pair that with Daryl Taylor with all the upside and promise there. That's that 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 position right there could really produce for the Seahawks, especially yeah, if I you mean, add Clowney Mayo, on the other side. Mayoa, part of his success is that he was a rotational guy. That you know he come in when it was. When the when you knew the other team was passing, you brought Mayoa in, and so he got an opportunity. He didn't have to like uh, read the run and 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 those kind of stuff. They they allowed him to just pin his ears back and go, and uh, that it, that fits his his body type and his play style and everything really well. I'd like to see the Seahawks to be able to do something similar with him. Do you think that that means that Daryl Taylor starts it and might. plays the run, defends the run more to begin with? Yeah, and and so in in running situations you see more of Taylor and passing. Because Daryl Taylor, by the way, defends the run amazingly well for a for a, a Leo guy. Yeah, um, his his college tape as far as uh, as a run defender was really good. His college de- tape as a, as a 
pass rusher was good. He just needs to develop a counter move to, to keep the offensive tackles honest. But even that, I mean, you can do that in an offseason. So we'll see where he's at. But I, I could see him start and, and play the early downs and then Mayo come in and play the later downs uh, type of situation. Uh, because I think that takes advantage of Mayo's skill set better and allows him to just be himself and be good at what he does. Uh, it, so it's basically a situation where, you know, who is it an upgrade to go from Keem Griffin to Benson Mayoa uh, as that rotational pass rusher on the on the um, on the Leo side? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Um, I mean, Keem was playing out of position. He's a linebacker. He's a weak side linebacker. Uh, or possibly a strong safety by trait, and he's coming up playing playing defensive end. He was way undersized and and playing out of position and just trying to use his athleticism um, to make an impact and was able to a little bit. But Mayoa is a, I mean, he was in Seattle his rookie year, and so we kind of know who he is. But <clears throat> he has developed even since then, when uh, during his time with Oakland into a competent pass rusher who's technically good. Uh, he uses his hands well. He's got multiple moves to get past the uh, offensive tackle and into the backfield. He closes well. He reads quarterback movements well, so he doesn't, like, rush to the wrong spot because the quarterback, you know, slid type of situation. He, he's a very competent pass rusher. I think that it's, it is a, a definite upgrade there. And so then it's like, okay, well, who takes, who, who takes the... Um, the ANSA snaps and is automatically an upgrade just because he's got a working body. And I do think it's, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's going to be Daryl Taylor. And yeah. honestly, it doesn't matter if there's rookie mistakes or, or, um, you know, yeah. growing pains there, he will still be better because ANSA I agree. Just, he, ANSA, ANSA gave you one game all year yeah. where he really kind <laughs> of showed out a little bit. What do you do? Yeah. With, what do you do with the guy like um, Irvin? If you've got Mayoa taking snaps, Taylor taking snaps, if if uh, Clowney comes back and then you've got Green over on the other side as well with Collier needing snaps, um, and 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 then you've the Brooks is taking snaps at linebacker and um, Irvin could be the odd guy out. Like, what does his, his contract look like? His contract is not cuttable. He's he's here for the year. Um, and I mean, it, it is every every contract is cuttable, but he he is not. Did he get like him. $5 million guaranteed or something like that? Yeah. They're going to pay him whether he's on the team or not, is what I'm saying. And so they're almost certainly going to keep him. And then it's just a matter of getting him some playing time. And it's one of those things where, you know, injuries will come up and he'll get to play. Or maybe he wins. You swap the, out Rasheem Green and, and Clowney in there and set him in passing downs. I mean, Clowney proved last year that he couldn't. He's never really been a sack guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, and, and clear, you know, third and long situations, that's where you'd throw Irvin in there. Yeah. And so you could, you could set up a, a NASCAR package where you have, um, you know, you have Robinson or, or Taylor or, or Mayo on the, the one side, you bring Irvin up on the other side. And then on the inside you roll with, um, you know, Reed and green. Or green and clowny, um, if you have a situation like that. So, and, and you just set up a NASCAR package where you've got four guys that can get to the quarterback quickly, um, and you dare you dare the other team 
in that situation to audible into a run on third and 10, because you've got four pass rushers. Uh, I <laughs> agree your, that Clowney, Clowney, one of Clowney or, or Griffin would make this team like would complete the team where we've got so mm-hmm. many options from all over the place on all three yep. uh, depths of the field that teams will have a very difficult time moving the ball against the Seahawks. The reason why I said Clowney over Griffin is because if you bring Griffin, Griffin is, is a Leo side. So he is now, now over there, you've got Mayoa, you've got Taylor, you've got Robinson, you've got Irvin, and now you've got Griffin. You got five guys on that side. And on the other side, you've got green and Collier. I do think that Clowney gives you just a tick of an upgrade. A, that's that reason. And B, he defends the run better. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have so a struggle with that as a team if, this year. If they bring in Griffin, what I wonder is if we will see a little bit of a scheme um, change and run a little less um, with that under front. So where where you have the you know the strong side and the weak side, um, you know a five tech and a and a seven nine tech uh, side, and they run more a little uh, straight up and shift everyone over so you've got you know two sevens and you know two two, uh guys that line up directly over a guard and and you know just to get more body you know get your best uh your best four on the field there it's a little it's different as far as your your gap assignments and all of that but it is something that i could see the team doing so what are you looking for uh, forward to most this week uh from seahawks practice Oh man, um, I just want. Oh God, I want to see guys get out there and play and run, and I want to see. Um, I really want to see Will Disley run and and um, you know show that he can cut and move, and that his legs healthy, and that his flexibility is back. And if all those things are true, man, I'm just I'm so excited for football. You know what I'm, uh, and this is going to sound weird, but you know what I'm looking forward to the most. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking forward to laughter and and smiles and happiness mm-hmm. um not only from the commentators but from the players and high fives and Pete Carroll smiling out there chewing his freaking gum i mean come on give me something to smile about that's With what i'm ugly looking white forward shoes to. and yeah. yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm old enough to be wearing ugly white shoes on occasion i'll have you know yeah but <laughs> it might be on occasion but Pete wears them all the time um, uh, they're kind of a trademark though like at this point, I think I remember him saying that, you know, he, people have talked to him about him. He's like, eh, everyone knows, like you, you see the shoes, you know, it's me. And he's, he's just going to roll with it. And I'm like, you know what? That's, that's knowing who you are and uh, just being yourself. And I, yeah. I can appreciate that. Oh man. So it's going to be great. So reminder, uh, seahawks.com starting tomorrow is, I don't know what time they start practice. Uh, I didn't get that far, but it's streaming tomorrow. So you got to check it out. Um, we will be for sure. We'll be talking about what we see next week, obviously. Um, yeah, great show, Keith. Good conversation. We talked a lot about the secondary. We got into other aspects of the defense, kind of how it all fit together. So fun, fun talk. Um, next week we'll, we'll come back and do it again. Uh, do you have any final words before we head out of here? No, just please everyone be safe with the COVID stuff, uh, both on Seahawks, Seahawks in the bubble and uh, fans out there. Uh, we, as a nation, we need to, to get behind this and, and, and get this figured out so that way we can 
have a good fall and, and kind of just move on. So please be safe. Please take care of yourself. Take care of your family. I know my, uh, my 14 year old started high school yesterday and it's online. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's weird because you know, he's going to school. Uh, in fact, we, we's not even, we're not doing the local district high school online version. Um, that we, we decided to go with a, with an online school that had been around for a little while that kind of has all the bugs worked out, knows what they're doing also ties into uh, Arizona state university. So it's an Arizona state university preparatory um, school and he, he can do concurrent uh, college courses and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty decent situation. Um, It kind of plays into his learning style anyway. So we feel good about that choice for at least this year. Uh, but I definitely want him to be able to uh, to go back to back to school. So, anywho, Lou, I uh, will talk to you soon, Keith. You can find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at SeahawksPlaybook.com uh, on on the website, and you can listen to all the shows and um, join us next time. And uh, we look forward to to being back here next week. So until next time. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.